Welcome back, everyone. This is another hybrid podcast between the Bless Your Boys podcast and the Don't Call It a Rebuild. It's a team build podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day, along with my co-host, Mark Garage. Mark, how's it going tonight? We're just chilling watching the game here. I'm doing well. How about you, Brandon? Uh, I am feeling uh, feeling much better. My uh, week in the UP kind of... Uh, Kind of uh, left me uh, worn out and kind of ragged. wasn't uh, wasn't sure what was going on, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Had a great time up there. Hung with the the nieces and nephew, and did some fishing, hiking, kayaking, cliff watching, long driving, <laughs> a lot of drinking, uh, not that much sleeping. Had a great time. That's what a vacation is for. If you know you had a good time. If you need a vacation from your vacation. Yep, there it is. That kayaking will get you, you know, if you don't do a whole lot of it. My shoulders have been killing me. <laughs> yeah, Mark Gorish is uh, probably not doing too much kayaking in the future. Uh, but I am happy to sit on your very nice speedboat if you want to take me out. I may even water ski if you ask me. Oh, I love so. it. Oh, all right, we're, we might have to make all this happen. <laughs> With us tonight, we've got a special guest, um, Cody Stavenhagen from the Athletic Detroit, who covers the Detroit Tigers beat. Cody, what's going on? Hey, not a lot, guys. How are you? Pretty good. Feeling uh, feeling excited um, to some degree. We had a pretty uh, pretty big day today. Kind of the the biggest day I've felt in quite a long time in the uh, in the Tiger sphere. So that was pretty cool. We got uh, Casey Myers, Tarek Skubal, and Isaac Paredes all up. We've already seen. Isaac Paredes, or Isak, I'm gonna, it's going to take a little while for me to get used to this. Isak Paredes uh, make a nice, uh, put together a nice at-bat. Um, actually, both at-bats were pretty were pretty serious quality, um, which is what we expect from him. And um, so I'm not make the best of uh, plays at third there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's just nice to have these guys up and feel like, uh, you know, the, the, the delaying of expectations is kind of over now and it's sort of time to start kicking things into build mode, which they have resisted for, for quite some time. So I think all in all, it's a pretty good day around the Tigers fandom. Yeah, I always like it when a team needs to be dragged kicking and streaming <laughs> into a more competitive mode. But look, you know what? I'm not going to be mad at Alavila today. I'm just going to be happy that three guys came up that maybe in the future can be players or two of them. It's fine. And I'm going to enjoy the day for what it was. Yeah. So there it is. It, uh, Cody. So like, yeah, I mean, what are your expectation levels like right now for, um, for Mr. Scooble and Mr. Mize? Um, have you heard much about how they've been, how they've been throwing down there in Toledo? Yeah, as you guys have probably heard, I mean, all the reports on Scooble is that he was—he's been pretty dynamic. He's—he's um, he's not stretched out, and it doesn't sound like he'll throw more than you know fifty, maybe sixty pitches Tuesday against the White Sox. But uh, I don't think he would be up here if he didn't kind of force their hand, especially to bring up another guy who's not fully stretched out. Um, I think it tells you that he's just been that good. Uh, I've shared it on Twitter, but an anecdote from Dan Dickerson on the radio, they asked Jim Leland, hey, has Scooble been throwing as well as he was in spring training? And Leland just deadpanned better, you know, and I think that that tells you a lot. I'll be really interested to see Scooble, but I I think it's just worth noting this. You know, I talked to him today about his curve. He didn't even have last year, you know, his curveball and slider kind of morphed into one pitch, a common folly. 
he went to driveline this offseason. He flipped to the grip. He did some edgertron camera work and really developed this new 12-6 curveball that we saw in spring training that I thought was dynamite. And then I would go read some old scouting reports and it would say his curveball was fringy. And I was kind of like, what's going on here? Turns out it's pretty much a new pitch and it's a really good one. And I'm really high on Tarek Skubal. Um, I thought it was interesting when today's broadcast, Al Avila mentioned that Casey Mize had actually been knocked around a little bit when he went, you know, first went to Toledo after after summer workouts. I think that's interesting information. He tells you a little bit about why he wasn't brought up until now. Uh, but that being said, we all know Mize has a really well-rounded arsenal. We know he's we know he's pretty close to big league ready. Um, I don't know that we should expect him to throw a no-hitter like he did in his double-A debut. I, I could. I could see him uh, getting hit around a little bit, but I think Mize is the type of guy who could go five innings, give up three or four runs, have a very solid outing, you know, which right now is what the Tigers need. That's better than the production they've been getting. And as he goes along a little bit, He'll have a couple days where he's really feeling it. He'll get a better feel for the big leagues, for pitching to big league hitters. Um, the, the guy's going to be a good major league pitcher. So, you know, the idea of tempering expectations, yeah, that, you know, these guys aren't going to be the best players in the league from day one. But kind of like we've seen with Paredes tonight, um, great at bat, huge two RBI hit. Um, you know, he also had an error. There are going to be some mistakes and growing pains. But these are talented dudes, and, and they're up here for a reason. Coming into today, it was kind of – I was. I was 50-50. I was like, are they actually going to bring them up or is Alavila having an entire press conference to explain why he's not bringing them up because the, the frustration has just boiled over. Um, turns out it wasn't just Mize. It was this huge day where three guys are up. Seems like, you know, maybe a day to remember. I think the most exciting day in my two years on the beat – um, kind of, you can call it the start of the new era. I think it's cool to see these guys in the majors, and it, it'll be fun to watch where it goes from here. Yeah, let's um, let's kind of break each of these guys down a little bit. But first, I, you know, it also kind of sounds like they're, you know, they're holding the door open still um, for some more call ups too. So it doesn't seem out of the question that we're still going to see potentially Matt Manning, maybe Alex Fiedo, um I don't know if Daz Cameron or Derek Hill is going to be much of a help this year um, in any capacity, but Jake Rogers probably should be up here working with Austin Romine, um, as Mark has yeah, suggested um, forcefully <laughs> on several occasions. So, I mean, do, do you kind of get the sense that, that sort of the door is open now and that if guys are, are pitching well or hitting well down there, you know, the door is open to getting a call up for, for a lot of those top guys now? I definitely get that sense, but I think I, I'm going to be I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know that I'm worried about Matt Manning because I think he is a uh, a a good and talented pitcher, but he did not look quite the same in summer workouts. He lost the command on his curveball. The fact that they brought up Scooble over him, and I asked Al Avila today, and and you know Al basically said he needs to work on command. He's making some mechanical tweaks. It sounds like Matt Manning's hit a little bit of that wall. Kind of shows you why AAA exists, why this is still a young guy, um, talented as he is, hasn't pitched as much as a Casey Mize in his life. Uh, I'm, I'm a little worried. I don't know for sure if we're going to see Matt Manning. If I mean, if he gets it together and has a couple lights-out outings and Matthew Boyd continues to struggle or there's, or there's another um, injury, sure, they could bring him up, but... 
it sounds like maybe Manning's struggling a little bit. And in that case, I don't think they're going to push him. I absolutely think Rodgers is the next guy who should be up. Uh, I think they should bring him up tomorrow, especially, you know, if you want him catching uh, Mize and Scooble, if you want him working with those guys, let's do that in the big leagues. Him learning from Austin Romine on a day-to-day basis would be a tremendous help. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how Jake Rogers is hitting in Toledo, but I'm pretty sure he's you're not going to lose much. Um, you know, if you don't have Grayson Griner in the order, no offense to Grayson, but it's a little, little bit of the truth. I think Jake should be up. Um, we'll see. Daz Cameron's recovering from COVID, coming off a rough year last year. Uh you know, that's one of those things where maybe if they need a guy, I think if they need another outfielder, Derek Hill will be the guy. Um, so there's, st- there's still going to be some movement. I think we'll see Jake Rogers up. I think maybe we could see a Manning or Fiedo, probably one of those two guys, maybe before the end of the year. Um, and we'll see on the rest. So the movement's not done, but I also think that it's now just going to be, you know, Christmas morning every week and the Tigers are, are calling up some <laughs> new guys. Uh, so, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. You know, B, I think you and I, obviously, our love for Matt Manning has been professed many times when we've done pods together. But, I mean, I think Code's point is spot on. His, his fastball command was never great. It was never great this spring either. And uh, his curveball is, you know, to be honest with you, it's it's gotten – praised quite a bit and people have had a lot of nice things to say about it but as far as this season goes oh my god <laughs> oh my, this is, it went foul right uh, I, I don't know i'm not we're watching <laughs> we're, we're watching we're, out, we're watching the game on mute and paredes just missed the home run that curved around the foul pole just missed but it had the distance um i was you know manny's curveball has been absolute trash the entire year and I, I think no matter how hard Matt Manning throws, and we have seen him touch 100 this year, if he is going to be a one-pitch pitcher, it's not going to go well. So, you know, I, I understand. Look, who, is he going to get some attention in Toledo right now? Heck, yeah. There's pretty much besides Fado, nobody else down there with him. So, um, I, you know, I, I am not adverse to him. Polishing his secondary pitches, and if he would listen to Brandon Day, he'd be working on a cutter. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. He's, you know, Tarek Skubal has has had some work ahead of him to to really tighten up his secondaries. And that point Cody made about you know really radically revamping the curveball into more of a twelve six pitch that goes with the riding high fastball. Um, that that's beautiful. You know, that's great to hear. Um, that's exactly the kind of thing that he needed to do. Matt Manning, yeah, I mean, I think we both know he needs a hard breaking ball. Um, he was working on it in spring camp. You know, he's a year younger than Scooble and Mai, so I'm not under, um, you know, I'm not putting any pressure on anybody to uh, to bring him up. Um, he was the one that, you know, I still think has the highest ceiling, um, although we'll see because if Scooble is locating, you know, you know, a slider, a curveball, and a changeup to go with that fastball, then this is going to radically uh, rearrange the the pecking order here. But um, we'll see how that that works out. But yeah, Manning is the one who's still got a whole pitch left to, to work on. And honestly, you know, Manning and Isaac Paredes kind of remind me of each other, just in the sense that they're the, the two guys who have tons of talent. 
that isn't really refined yet. Um, and I think Manning has kind of stagnated a little bit over the past year and has still just been able to kind of push through with the fastball. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's all well and good. He's the one that, you know, probably needs more time and they should certainly give it to him. I wouldn't necessarily really want to just call him up and throw him in there right now um, if he's still trying to develop that pitch. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll see him later on in some kind of a relief role if the Tigers are actually still in this thing three or four weeks from now, something along those lines. But that, you know, that's um, that's not really a problem right now. Um, let's talk about that Scooble Kurt. Oh, I'm sorry, go for it. To keep in mind, guys, is the 40-man roster. The Tigers have been very loyal to that. Hopefully there was a sign today that, Maybe that allegiance is ending by by DFAing Dawel Lugo, which is going to allow them to put Scooble on the forty man. But I don't know that we would see both Mize and Scooble up if you know. I, I would assume they're going to move CJ Crone to the forty five day IL. Those forty man spots more or less kind of came open, and that's going to be something to consider with Manning and Fiedo to bring them up. You're going to have to DFA two other guys. Look, there are definitely expendable people on that roster but if the tigers remain this cautious that's going to be tough you know who is on the 40-man roster is franklin perez a guy we don't talk about a lot i have no idea if he's ready to pitch in the bigs um he was he was up and down i think in spring training and summer workouts you saw the talent you saw why this guy was once your top prospect um if he's healthy and throwing decent Simply because he's on the 40-man, he might get a shot in the big leagues uh, before a Manning or Fiedo. That's a great point, and I I would concur strongly that he's the, if he's throwing well there, next man up, you know, basically kind of in the Rony Garcia type of role, throwing two innings, and he's not, I mean, he's not that old. But, you know, it's, it's time to see what he can do against advanced hitters. And I, I couldn't agree more about Franklin Perez being the next guy up. Well, so. the weird thing about Perez, too, is that he, he looked very much like he had when we got him three years ago, um, you know, from what I saw of him. It didn't look like he'd lost anything. And at that point, when they traded for him, it, you know, the whole sales pitch was that, you know, he's pretty close to major league ready already. You know, you, you'd like him to refine his secondary pitches. Um, but other than that, you know, the fastball changeup combo, you know, he was already capable of spotting both of them. He just hasn't been able to stay on the mound. Um, and this kind of goes to, you know, to Casey Mize a little bit too. Like if you're, if your guy is healthy, that's the time to develop them. Um, trying to be too cute with pitchers and, you know, wait, waiting for the, the perfect moment, you know, in terms of, contracts and you know service time and avoiding the super two all those sorts of things are things a gm has to think about i guess but yeah i mean you know when your pitcher is pitching well it's time to it's time to challenge him and move him up so yeah i could see that as well um i could see franklin in kind of a a little two inning role there yeah i i think they would like to get him time and he's already on the 40 i think isn't he code so i mean I, i i don't think that's right i don't think there's an issue you know, creating space for him. So I, I think it's an outstanding point. Yeah. There are obviously, yeah, guys like Derek Hill, you know, you could, you could point to maybe Kyle Funkhauser who, <laughs> who both, you could probably, you know, you could probably cut those guys loose and still get them back if you, if you wanted to. But um, yeah, obviously the Tigers haven't really shown a tendency to, to go cutting people loose until all options are sort of exhausted. So yeah, I wouldn't expect any of those things. And, 
I'm not trying to look a gift horse in the uh, in the mouth here to our uh, our fair listeners out there. Um, we're very happy to have these three guys up. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not sitting here demanding everyone uh, all be called up at once or anything along those lines either. Uh, to keep you abreast, uh, Rony Garcia just threw a meatball of a slider that Luis Robert just deposited in the left center field bleachers. So he's going to do that. He's going to do that sometimes. Mm, he, yes, I think the whites. The White Sox do have some hitters in their lineup. Uh, they they got some boys that can punish some mistakes, to say the least. Yeah, so, and a lot of them can run. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a little bit scary on the uh, offensive side. That's true. Well, I mean, I, I I was gonna I was gonna say that you know, interestingly. It's kind of a weird blessing in disguise they're bringing these players up because I can't imagine the season ticket sales for the Detroit Tigers are very large. they got to be under 7,000 now, and I can't even imagine having the job in the winter of trying to convince someone to get season tickets to the Detroit Tigers. I heard last last winter it was... It was almost laughable. But, you know, if any of these guys shows anything, let's be real honest about it. You know, at least they'll be able to, you know, hopefully start putting a few people in the stands. Hopefully health-wise we can put a few people in the stands. But at the the same time, from a PR standpoint and a marketing standpoint, yeah, it's probably not a bad thing that they're going to start weaving a few of these guys in there. The other thing I was going to say about Casey Mize is, look, and I've been pretty vocal about this, you take a guy that has not thrown to hitters of major league caliber, and then he has not been in situations of adversity. And when, when you got two on and two out, or you got second and third and two out, and you're down 2-0 in the count, and you're facing major league hitters, that's adversity. He hasn't done that in a long time. It's awful hard to be sharp when you haven't done that in a long time. So I'm going to reserve judgment on, you know, maybe his first two outings and just try to see if he has some of what he had this spring. And, you know, I think you guys both know I I, I like Casey Mize. I did not love him. But when I saw the cutter he had this spring, it was absolutely a moneymaker of a pitch. It was unhittable. It was it had velocities that are highly unusual for a cutter. The late movement was great, and his command of it was shockingly good. So, yeah, his command of uh, it was was way better than his command of the fastball, which um, I, uh, I think still remains the the somewhat of the question mark pitch of the of the three major or the four major offerings he's going to bring you. Well, look. I, I think the three of us all like. To, oh my god! I, the three of us all like to talk about, you know, how sequencing and 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 pitch. But I, you know, I didn't think Casey Mize when he was throwing well this spring. He didn't throw very many four seam fastballs, it, it, aside from throwing it up in the zone, trying to get people to. You know, fish on it. He he wasn't throwing you know too many OO fastballs. He was throwing cutters or two seamers, and the fastball was more of a finishing waste pitch, which it had been a real problem for uh, for Mize before this. But he, he kind of was shelving a lot of his normal four seam usage. I don't I don't you know, Code. Did you you remember paying that much attention to that in the spring when the game seemed to count a little bit more or no? 
Yeah, he absolutely did. And I don't, I, I think I remember two different outings where in the first inning, he just wasn't spotting the four seamer one. He then basically started leaning almost exclusively splitter for the next couple innings. And then I think it was against the Yankees where he was flashing a lot of cutter. Um, so I don't know that it was, I think he tried to spot the four seam in both of those outings. It didn't work and he went away from it pretty quickly, which I guess is good, but I don't know that he's going to be able to get by with that in a big league game, especially if you're facing this White Sox order right now. Look, no matter how good your splitter is or your cutter is, these guys are going to be able to touch up uh, some pitches. He's going to be able to. He's going to need to be able to get ahead in some counts with a four seam fastball. So I think that's probably the big reason. I just said I could see Mize getting touched up a little bit, or or you know his pitch count rises, and and that ends up limiting him. Uh, I think he'll do fine. But the four seems a little bit of a concern, and I just feel like it's going to take some time for him to get everything ironed out. I think we'll see outings when that four seems clicking, and and when everything else is clicking, he can be dominant. But I don't know that he's quite to to being there night in and night out right now. Well, and the thing about that is that I watched all of his starts in 2019, and you know the same was true in a lot of those outings, um, even in his no hitter. You know, he wasn't he wasn't pounding the zone with fastballs for strikes. I mean, he was still, you know, nibbling the edges with it. Um, you know, maybe he'd throw it over for strike one and then kind of go away from it. And I don't know necessarily if that, you know, judging by his command of everything else, you kind of wonder if that's just a little bit of gun shyness because maybe he knows, you know, <laughs> that, that it's not really um, it's not really the best of his offerings. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of been sort of a trend and he's, he's kind of made it work anyway, but one way or the other, I just, I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch how Austin Romine works with him because the, the depth of arsenal that he's got allows for so many different combinations and different ways to set people up, um, ways to, to double up on a splitter and then turn to the fastball. You know, there's all kinds of options with a guy like him that you don't, don't normally see. And it should be really fun to watch him pitch though. I would I would also, yeah, caution people that, you know, I mean, the odds are good he's going to give up some runs and, and have some rocky outings early on. But, you know, I mean, if you're a baseball fan out there, you should you should already know that. There just aren't very many guys who come up and are – Justin Verlander didn't come up in 2006 and just dominate. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's a little bit par for the course. But, yeah, I think uh, overall, like, it, it would just be nice to see him spotting the fastball – um, even if he's not, you know, throwing 40, 45% of them the way, you know, most major league pitchers would. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see how he mixes his pitches. And uh, I'll be, you know, that's another reason, you know, Rogers used to be pretty good catching Mize. And it would, it, it would almost benefit them that if Rogers was recalled just to interact with, with Romine or even catch Mize because I think he's pretty familiar with them. But, you know, Romine's very good at sequencing, so I'm sure he'll quickly figure out, you know, what and how to use out of that repertoire. But it should be pretty interesting to watch Mize. He's pretty cerebral also. And like I said, that, that cutter was just – it was a game changer. It was fabulous this spring. And I'll, I'm hopeful that – you know, within it, you know, yeah, hopefully right off the bat. But if not, within two, two or three outings, that 
uh, you know, he has command of it and he can pitch off it and we'll see what happens after that. So, yeah. Um, to turn back to Scooble, I, I mean, I, I still am thinking just that this is, this is a guy who has come so far out of nowhere and has advanced so fast that I just, I think I'm more excited about Scooble than I am about, you know, Mize or, or Paredes because I just like the combination of that, his fastball and Gregory Soto's fastball, you know, kind of puts two of the best left-handed fastballs I can think of in the entire game, you know, on your, you know, on your roster, ready to go. And if he's got the the rest of that going, Tarek Skubal strikes me as an extremely hardworking, super dedicated, very smart and intense young pitcher who um who who is really hungry right now. And um, th- I, yeah, that's just going to be fascinating to watch. Um, I I didn't even really see the twelve to six curveball in the spring, so Cody, you bringing that up um really has my interest peaked right now because that should work better with the with the fastball. And as you say, last year, you know, the slider and the, and the curveball a lot of times look like the same pitch with just a little bit taken off of a uh, one or the other. So yeah, that's, um, that's going to be another really interesting uh, outing to watch. I'm, I'm pretty stoked to see him get out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm huge on school. I, I don't know. I think he's going to be a stud. He's, he's actually probably my favorite of uh, out of my Manning school. Um, we'll see. He is this late blooming guy who came out of nowhere. Maybe he's due to hit a wall or come back to reality a little bit. But, you know, I think the fact that this guy gets, gets COVID doesn't, you know, isn't really able to throw in any sort of real setting for a month comes back out on a pitch count and is so good that Jim Leland said he's better and that the Tigers bring him up, man. I just think that speaks volumes about, about how good he has been, and I'm really excited to watch him pitch tomorrow. So, Code, now that we're, you know, 20 games into this and you've had a chance to see a few things, you've, you've also seen some teams in the Central. I mean, obviously, the, the, the Tigers' schedule is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty rigorous to say the least. But, you know, you've had a look at him for 20 games. Give us some of your impressions, some ideas of if there are any tweaks they can make to the roster. Who, who's surprising you in a good way? And, you know, where do you think some players that are going to be around beyond this year kind of look to you? Well, okay. Now we're coming back to reality. Uh <laughs> It's been a nice 9-10 and 10 start, but I think we've all seen a lot of signs of, of the floodgates starting to open a little bit. I think it's really good that we have Mize and Scooble in the big leagues now, but this bullpen's been very taxed. If Scooble is on a pitch count, that's not going to help that. Uh, you know, I like Brian Garcia, I like Gregory Soto, I like John Schreiber, but I don't know that all three of those guys can continue to pitch as well as they have you need to get buck farmer healthy again i'm worried this bullpen's going to fall apart a little bit and you're already seeing some signs i mean um jacoby jones had a killer start but i think he's due to regress the more and more breaking balls he sees same thing with jamer candelario uh i just think there's still some pretty glaring holes in this lineup i know crone didn't actually have the best numbers power aside but i think his injury is a pretty big blow on just the way you construct this lineup because right now your top three hitters 
They're not guys who are getting on base. You know, you need Miguel Cabrera to pick it up. And I know his, his exit velocity is still good, but as you pointed out, Mark, his timing just isn't there, and, and I'm starting to think it's never going to quite come can, back. Can, can we can we touch on that for a second? It, I mean, you know, Code, you didn't get to really see him like we did. I mean, I'm sure you saw him, but when he when he was at greatness, and I mean, it was just greatness. Um, you know, velocity never bothered him, and he and actually. In the spring, late spring, you remember him taking Cole deep. He was just all over Cole when he, he had two off of Cole in one game. Yeah, and they were 99, but yeah. I, I don't think since summer camp is open that I've seen him attack a fastball and hit it hard somewhere, especially to right center or right. And it's it's like, I, you know, I've seen a few people respond to me on this. It's like, Miguel, I, I almost make it a rule never to say anything bad about you. I mean, it's one of the <laughs> only players that I will not say anything bad about because I have so much love for him. But holy smokes, dude, maybe maybe an optometrist. I mean, I, I, I he just can't get synced up, and it just never seems like he's seeing the fastball well so that he's on time. I mean, yes, yesterday, two-line singles on fastballs. I'm still not embracing it yet. When I see him smoke one over the, you know, over the wall in dead center, then I'll know that he's on it. But I, I just don't see him picking the baseball up with the same level of, you know, hand-eye coordination that we have been so spoiled by for so long. I mean, who hits two homers off from of Mariano Rivera? back-to-back days. I mean, nobody did that. And now he gets made to look foolish because he he's cheating to try to get the fastballs, and he cannot do it. Yeah, I mean, he's, so. he's casting the top hand at a lot of those and still hitting them hard, which we should touch on, you know, the distinction between exit velocity and actual, you know, barrels, barrels in the air. Um, you know, but... He can still get to them enough to, to spoil them. But, yeah, I just am not seeing him square those balls up much at all either. And I, and I was just laughing because I, I wrote this article way back in 2016, and it was um, Tigers Miguel Cabrera still hitting the ball as hard as anyone in the game. And um, even at that point, you know, the, the exit velocity off the bat, I think, was still first or second in baseball. It was still first in 2016. And um, But as we've seen hitting the ball super hard on the ground as guys like Avisel Garcia or Yandy Diaz could tell you there, there's just no money there. Um, and for whatever reason, yeah, he just doesn't seem to be able to get the fast, get to the fastballs and still, still be leading with the handle enough to, um, to carry the ball in the air. And, you know, I wrote that article a, four years ago and, right. and we're still kind of hoping, you know? Yeah. I, I, you know, we, we don't need to get too geeky here, but his launch angle is ex- extremely low and it, it has been decidedly so for, I, I mean, put it this way. I think Victor Reyes has a higher launch angle than Miguel Cabrera. And that is like sacrilege to me. Yeah. There's another, so, there's another little ground out. Yeah. So, you know, it, you know, there, there are issues there as far as Jacoby, Jacoby was really playing, uh, when his, when his abdominals started hurting, uh, and they started to spin the ball endlessly to him, 
obviously it's had an impact. I think he's six for his last 35. So th- there, there are some issues there and you know, they, he has still made a couple loud outs in his defense, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I listen, Jacoby has played great. I, I couldn't be happier with how he's played this year. He's willing to take a walk and, but you know, we used to, we would talk during the game, the three of us, I mean, there was not a mistake that somebody threw to him in the first 10 days that he did not punish every single mistake. The one thing, the one thing you can notice in the last two and a half weeks, he ain't seen too many mistakes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. They know who so, he is now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, they, they have not made too many mistakes to him in the middle of the play. That, that's my point. He's hit a few, but I mean, not, not nearly what the first two weeks bore for him as far as pitch quality to swing at. And, you know, his batting, you know, his contact rate has suffered for it. There's just, look, Jonathan Scope, I mean, come on. You know, the Gorosh rule of hitters, he, he got a second walk yesterday. He had, the, he had 75 plate appearances before he got his second walk. That's just, come on, man. Yeah, it's, but we, I mean, we know who he is, though. I mean, he's got a long track record of being a average major league hitter who has power. I mean, that, that's all he is. That's just, you know, that's the way it uh, is. I think, he, I, I think he's a slightly below average major league hitter that hits 25 home runs and knocks in 65 runs and has an OBP of somewhere between 280 to 300. And it, it's a luxury you can afford if you have many other players that are doing what they're supposed to do. But when you have a team of uh, offensively compromised or, or developing players, it, it's a problem. So, oh, we have Kyle Funkhauser on the mound. Shocking, shockingly good two outings ago. Back to regular last outing. It'll be interesting to see what you get this time. So, um, any in code, I wanted to ask you. I have not heard anything, and I was curious if you had. It, his Funkhauser tweaked anything i mean i had never seen him throw 97 at least since we'd signed him signed him or was that a hot gun or what happened that day or do we have any indication of there have been some polishing of kyle funkhauser's delivery uh i'm glad you asked that because i had almost forgotten i don't think we've talked to funkhauser since then um, and it was something I wanted to ask about. I think someone asked Garden Hire, who again just maybe attributed it to tempo or something. It wasn't actually a, a, any sort of in-depth explanation. Um, there's been so much other, you know, so many other storylines going on between injuries and implosions and now call-ups that it's kind of got lost in the shuffle. But he has. He's picked up velocity. He's looked surprisingly pretty good and you would think it's got to be the result of some sort of mechanical change something that could be really good for his development i actually don't have the answer uh, I'll, I'll try to get that for you yeah. in the next week or so because that's I, a real point I, I, here, here's what i can tell you i am not a kyle funkhauser guy but i will tip my hat to the guy because his slider is is borderline very good and if he ever could get even a semblance of command, he may have some initial usefulness as a reliever. I'm not, I'm not thinking beyond that, but uh, if you're going to throw 95, 96 with a really good slider, 
you know, you, you could be a league average reliever for sure. So I'm curious yeah, what they've done with that. And it's been a long time since, you know, there, there were really much expectations for him beyond, you know, maybe doing that, you know, maybe being a, a solid reliever who eventually maybe develops into, you know, some kind of a setup piece for you. Um, yeah. I, I would be really interested to see what a team like the Dodgers, who I believe initially drafted him, what they would do uh, with a Kyle Funkhauser. I think he could be turned into a really good seventh or eighth inning guy. Um, if you really look at the data, really look at how he should attack hitters, um, you know, help them out mechanically, whatever it may be. I think this, I would not recommend the Tigers DFA Kyle Funkhauser because I do think another team uh, might take a shot on him if they if they have room on the roster at least and I think on the right team he could end up becoming a pretty useful piece I've seen a couple Funkhauser outings in spring training where he's just throwing darts and yeah I don't see him being ever being a guy who's going to be able to do that three times through an order uh, but there's some there's some potential in that arm and maybe we'll see if the Tigers can unlock it before it's too late He's thrown about five good sliders while we're talking, and he's actually hit the mitt a, a decent amount. He just gave up a strange-looking seeing-eye single to Jose Abreu that I think he got the vibration of the bat. But he's he's throwing up, his fastball is is really tailing hard. Our you know arm side right now, and Romine's doing a good job with him. It's it's let's see if he can finish off uh, Eloy Jimenez, but yeah, it's, it's, look, I did not really have too high hopes for Kyle Funkhauser, but shockingly, these last few outings, he's looked much improved and, you know, much improved is a good thing because the Tigers could use every useful arm they could possibly get. And it seems, you know, the other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about you know, kind of dovetails into this, which is, you know, every other team we've seen in our division, uh, they're making progress getting better. Is that is that a fair thing to say or not? Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kansas City's got, you know, Singer and Bubik in, in their rotation. Uh, you know. I mean, I'm not really going to sing the praises too much of, of the Royals. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of either of those guys. You know, you look at um, the fact that Merrifield is already, you know, I mean, almost in his mid-30s. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mondesi... You know, still has potential, um, a lot of skills, but but hasn't really put that together. You know, they've got Dozier, they've got Solaire, um, you know, they've got some bangers in there. Um, I, I would I would definitely agree that they're making progress and that their major league roster is is better than ours, um, certainly. Um, but you know, there there isn't that much on the farm either. But then you look at the fact that Cleveland is, you know, God's own 
you know, pitch factory at this point. Oh, my God. And then you've got the Twins, and you've got and, this and White Sox way, team. It's Cleveland scary. Has, Cleveland has multiple other pitchers in in A in, in A ball in in that they're yeah. You and I love Ethan Hankins. Oh. Like we both wanted Ethan Hankins real bad. I mean, they still got him. Oh yeah, yep, yep. There's no uh, there's no relief coming as far as Cleveland's pitching dominance. I'm afraid. You know, so it's it's you know in Minnesota, you know I've said this many many times. I think watching Fan Fan Levine speak this winter. It, it became apparent to me why Minnesota has become so successful because to be really honest with you guys, they're just super smart. They, they've optimized the players they had. They've added subtly good players. It doesn't seem like they have a rotation. And meanwhile, Randy Dominic is 4-0 and he was pitching in the playoffs for him last year. And I think they found him at a bus stop in Holly. I, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know. It, when you understand how to evaluate talent and then polish it and put it to use and put it in situations where it can succeed, you, you learn how to win baseball games. And it just is a recurring theme with smart, well-run baseball teams. They do it all the time. Okay, And the Tigers are in a division that is getting better. So... You know, it's nice that we're bringing players up, but if I think they need to continue to develop players and bring players up and polish them to be productive major league players, as an example, which the White Sox are worlds ahead of the Tigers at doing that so far. Okay, and you know because it's going to take that to compete just in their own division. To be very honest with you. I think that is the thing that maybe scares me the most in this Tigers rebuild is the fact that this is a good division. And let's say it's 2024 and the Tigers have everyone up and they're playing well and they're on the precipice of becoming a really good team. Who, who's the last place team in the AL Central? You know, yeah. uh, it, the only way it's the Twins is if Thad Levine, things fall apart and he gets fired. Right now, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be the White Sox. I think they're going to be monstrous. You know, Code, that, that, these are great points, and it, it plays into what I try to make the central theme of my podcast about being a team build is the, the single most difficult part of building a team is building it all around the fringes. you got to have depth. you got to have players that maybe aren't your stars but are productive and optimize you winning um and, and and you have to understand what parts fit together to make all the parts worth more and and let's and that. let's not neglect the fact that it's not good enough to have five or six really good prospects you need to have enough it's, depth to keep making the trades that you want to make the trades that you need to make yeah it, it's it's things like you know reconfiguring your asset base in other words maybe you're trading a pitcher for a hitter or you know, or you you sometimes trade young player for young player. Good GMs understand how to do those kind of things. It's it's signing a free agent that maybe washed out as a major league player at another stop that isn't that old, but understanding how to put him in a circumstance where it 
diminishes the exposure of his shortcomings and you know maybe he's a platoon player maybe he only bats 400 times a year maybe he's a reliever instead of a starter these are all subtle things that are talent evaluation and to be really frank with you yes look I I, I, I made a joke today that I thought was pretty spot on which is somebody said it was hard for them to believe that Al Avila was one of the top 30 general managers in baseball. And I said, look, Al Avila is no doubt one of the top 50 minds in baseball. The problem is there's only 30 GM jobs. And that's exactly how I feel about it. Okay? So if you're the 40th best mind in baseball and you're you're a general manager, it's, it's not going to go well for you. And the idea of understanding how to fill in you can have five really good players on your team, and you can have a crummy team, okay? But when you when you look at, like, take a team like Oakland, who went through something similar to what the Tigers are going through now, and look at the building blocks they figured out without drafting guys first. I mean, a Chapman and Olsen, they pick up Luzardo in a trade for a re- Think about this. Laureano. They traded... They, 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 they traded... Sean Doolittle, okay, and got back Jesus Lazardo. All right, we traded Justin Wilson. Okay, (laughs) yeah, Justin Wilson, JD Martinez, okay, Justin Verlander, and what do we have to show for it as far as production in the major leagues? I'm not saying that all these guys from the Verlander trade are going to bomb out because it's still possible that any of them could be a contributing major leaguer. It's not impossible. They haven't washed out yet, okay? But other teams do really good, smart things, and we have Cameron Mapin playing right field. Well, you know, what I, yeah, what I said yesterday is kind of ironic in the, uh, in the light of the three guys who came up today, but, you know, I was just talking to some people in our comment section. I was just like, whose team is this, you know? After five years of, of Avila being there, when you look on the field, whose guys do you still see out there? Who, you know, who are the the few talented guys you have? And they're still all Dombrowski, you know, guys. Whether whether it's Boyd, whether it's Norris and and Fulmer, whether it's Jacoby Jones, whether it's Greg Soto, whether it's Spencer Turnbull, all those guys. Um, Dombrowski guys, every last one of them. Yeah, and I mean, I and to go to Cody's point about um, you know the, the AL Central in general. I mean, this this was the problem all through the Dombrowski era. Even you know it was covered over by the fact that they had enough star power, but those rosters never had that that completion. You know, all the corners filled in, all the details. You know, and the boxes checked. And the Central wasn't that good. You know, back then from 2011 to 2014. You know, you had. Little uprisings from the White Sox one year, and maybe the Twins the next year, maybe the Indians the next year. But until you know, we got to 2014, and the Royals kind of burst, you know, burst through for a little while. The Tigers kind of had their way with that division. They didn't have to have all that, you know, that really refined team building aspect, you know, dialed in. Um, now they're going to have to. And some of these teams are spending. You know, the Twins never really spent, and now you know their their payroll's creeping up to 130, 140 million. You know the target folks seem willing to spend a little bank to uh, to try to win something there, and that doesn't help us either. So, yeah, it's a it's a long road. But you know, w- thinking about the fact that most of these guys were Dombrowski guys, and then seeing the three guys who came up today, it was like, okay, you know, I get, this is the start of the Avila era, really. You know, like it, you know, this is this is the the starting point to build the team into something that can win. And when you look at how far they have to go, it is a it is a steep mountain to climb still at this point. 
Well, I do you, love me other... some Riley Green though. Riley Green's you know giving me good yeah, look, some good they, feeling. They're... <laughs> Listen, it's it's hard not to like the fact you have Riley Green and Torkelson marinating yeah. on the farm. And, you know, but, Code, the other thing I wanted to get some input from you, and in, 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 I know you spoke to both these guys in spring training, but it, and it must be difficult to know exactly how much player development they can do in an environment like this. But, you know, both Graham and Hubs, I'm sure are – aggressively working with you know talent they had a lot of talent in Toledo for for three weeks that they would you know were able to get to know and to work with and you know do skill development etc and I know you have talked to both those guys previously I, I don't know how much you've interacted with them to get some input on what's going on but I, I would assume that both those guys are pretty important to what you know Tiger baseball is going to become in the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Kenny Graham and Dan Hubbs are the two most important, you know, baseball staff members in this organization right now in terms of of coaches. Um, And I think this year has been challenging. I think they're doing the best they can. You know, I think uh, I talked to Jorge Cordova, the the Lakeland pitching coach, for a story about Gregory Soto and, and got a little more information. They are doing a lot of Zoom um, seminars with players. Yeah, they're getting Rapsodo. Um, there's been a lot of continuing education for the rest of the coaching staff in terms of understanding tech and data. That's one thing that the, the Tigers staff has kind of honed in on in this time off. That being said, I think Hubs and Graham, this was an important year for them to set a foundation of, okay, this is what player development is going to look like from here on out. And I think with an altered year, they can't really do that as much. They have to be winging it a little bit. Um, I think it, it kind of sets them back in terms of being able to really set the tone, really being able to imprint their own brands on this organization i think right now they're they're just kind of trying to get by and do the best they can like everyone else um it's good the tigers are taking some steps but pretty much everyone in the league is is doing the same thing um you know i know some teams have sent blast motion sensors through the mail to all of their hitters i don't know that the tigers have done that maybe they have but i'm not under the, the impression they have little stuff like that can make a pretty big difference um and for hubs and graham yeah it's it's a it's a tough year i think it's kind of unfortunate for them that you know their job was to lay a foundation to lay bricks this year and they just can't quite do that yeah it's i i you know, I am glad because I hope that they've taken advantage of their time where they probably had a lot of exposure to both uh, Tor- Torkelson and Green that they may not have had in a normal year. And, and I'm hoping they took care of it because I think Th- those guys are off, getting to face some good pitching, too. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I think. We all fantasize at the idea by July next year, both those guys could be playing in the show. But my, you know, 57 years of watching this stuff tells me it, it, it would be a luxury if they both played that well that next year they wanted 
to recall both of them. And essentially now you had a whole roster full of kids trying to mature together and, and see what was up. But, you know, someone's going to get hurt. You're going to struggle. You're going to something. And, you know, it's a shame that they didn't get to really play this year at all. Cody, what have you heard about what type of foul league they're going to have? I've heard they're going to actually try to run two, two leagues concurrently, one kind of for the higher-tier prospects and one for the younger prospects. Yeah, I think a lot's still up on the air in that. Uh, that is, I think, the ideal plan. That's kind of the last I've heard. A lot just depends on... Are we going to get through this major league season, which two weeks ago was like, oh, this might not actually work. Now it seems like the water's a little smoother. And I think as long as it's all at all viable, that's what they're going to do. And it might end up being a pretty good, uh, pretty good player development experience. I do think two leagues is going to be the way to go. I don't know if they will... Uh, if they'll both be in Arizona or if they're still looking at a Florida fall league in addition, obviously things are, are still pretty weird in Florida right now. But, you know, I asked Dave Littlefield, I was like, can you even plan for that? And he kind of said, well, no, but I think in the back of their minds, the Tigers are prepared for it. They have a budget set out to accommodate um, players and staffing in, in the Arizona fall league. And it seems like what you just mentioned is, is that least the most ideal scenario and at least based on what we know now the most likely but kind of like this major league season I think the virus determines what happens more than anything I mean if there are huge spikes or a second wave or it's just tougher to contain uh minor leaguers than maybe it is a you know a 26 28 man major league roster those things could still threaten the fall leagues and they maybe could not happen at all we'll see yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I'm sure that they're dying to do something like that because even if you could get guys, you know, a hundred at bats, you know, thirty, you could play for sixty days, get them, you know, let let them play thirty to forty games against reasonably decent competition. Just getting that hundred and twenty five, hundred and forty at bats would be a big help. You I mean take a guy like you know, Brian Packer, take, you know, guys like Creedler, even, you know, and obviously Riley Green and Torkelson both needed bats. But, I mean, there's other guys that are not on this 60-man roster that I uh, promise you they're dying. You know, here, here's a name we haven't discussed in a long time. Wouldn't you like to see Wenzel Perez get a few at bats this year somewhere? Sure. And, you know, and that actually brings me to another topic, which is, you know, they're going to expand the taxi squad and the Tigers have called a couple guys up. So who, who would you guys, you know, bring to, bring to Toledo right now to start getting a work and hopefully, you know, prepare for, for some fall league play if, uh, if such a thing is possible. I mean, obviously Bryant Packard is probably the first name that comes to most of our minds and Wenzel, anybody else you guys would like to see down there? I would say Cody Clemens is probably near the top of uh, the list. I mean, he's been been playing in 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 Texas, but you know, just based upon level from last year and age, uh, I'd be shocked if he wasn't so. Oh, that's another home run for Lewis Robert, and he's got two tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that, that was just an absolute missile. Uh, uh. 
yeah, Cody Clemens was hitting 298 through 56 ABs in the Constellation Energy League. I have no idea what the pitching is like down there, but uh, I think he's a guy you want to bring up to the taxi squad for sure. Yeah, because I mean, guys like Dingler and you know, you know, a workman, you know, Daniel Cabrera, those guys aren't going to go right into the Arizona Fall League. Daniel I would Cabrera, assume. I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe if they, have a, if they have a lower level, if they have a lower level of the uh, of the Fall League. You know, sort of like for like a two tier, uh, high, a, high yeah. A, yeah, high A and low A guys. I would say Dan, Daniel Cabrera and Workman are definitely they're going to want them to play. But you know, you have. All those infielders that they drafted last year, who they had, they got Kriegler and Lipschitz, Quintana. Yeah, yeah, they they got you know those guys need to play too. I mean, it, you you'd sure hate to think that they drafted a guy in the second round and they're going to wash him out in you know fifteen minutes. There's been just way too much of that by the <laughs> Detroit Tigers in the past few years, and so I, I hope that. Um, you know Nick Quintana. You you would you would think that we we should get him some at bats before we we leave him at the curb, right? So <laughs> yeah, I mean he uh, was our uh, you know <laughs> well, our second round pick last year. And, yeah, you would. Well, you would... that that was a mere hundred and fifteen point five mile per hour exit velocity on the Luis Robert homer run off of Funkhauser. Uh, not 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 bad. Um, yeah. Don't don't get me started started on Kyle Funkhauser. I am I'm not a I'm not a Funkhauser guy, and I don't I don't really like to dog guys for this, but he's just one of those who just who always seems to come unglued quickly um, and just start just start nibbling and is just too scared to throw it over the plate. You know, in in tight spots, never seems to make the pitch. Um, he'll he'll show you something when he's on, and all of a sudden, yeah. You know, the fastball's darting arm side, the slider's darting, you know, glove side. It's all looking kind of kind of good for a little bit. Never lasts. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they look like the... <laughs> this looks like, you know, there, there's a lot of... A lot of enjoyment being had by the White Sox dugout at Kyle Funkhauser's Express right now. That's my nice way of saying it. For those of you who are watching the game, you know what I'm saying. They... A lot of fists bump in, a lot, you know, it, it looks like a borderline party in there. So, uh, never a good thing when that opposing dugout is having, looks like a night at the disco. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's going to be five in a row for the Tigers. They have two more with Chicago. They have four, uh, they have three, they have they have four with Chicago, three with Cleveland, three with the Cubs, and then four with Minnesota. So it's already ugly because it's five in a row, and it could get really, really ugly. So it's like I was teasing somebody, I think, on Twitter today when they were discussing, you know, jockeying for draft position for next year. And I said, never count out the Avila Tigers because nobody can go for draft position in the last 60 games of a season like an Al Avila stock Detroit Tiger team. So, um, Hey, we're, yeah, we're, not, we're all here for development now. You know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It's, I, it's probably going to be rough. I mean, even my optimistic self, who I think predicted uh, 28 and 32, just figuring that, okay, these guys will probably do the Tiger thing and run out to a hot start. 
maybe they can hang on long enough to bring up some of their guys and, and, and hold it together. Yeah, well, we're going to find out over the next two weeks because uh, there's a good likelihood they're kind of dead and buried by the time this, this stretch is over. But we'll see if they can hang in there and uh, and fight back a little bit. Maybe, uh, maybe they can keep hope alive into September. Yeah, well, um, I, of course, made the more than famous prediction of seven and 23 in the first 30 games and 15 and 15 in the last 30, because I actually thought guys like Paredes and Scooble would be up and we could mess around. I, I, I envisioned Scooble much more in, I think I've said this a hundred times in a Josh Hader type role, maybe in a little leverage and, you know, limit him to 30 pitches and try to use him that way. But uh, you're gonna give him Greg Soto's job? My God, man! I'm, no, I'm teasing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I got news for you. If you've noticed, Greg Soto's fastball is already down two miles an hour because when you're getting used, pitching, <laughs> yeah, when you're you're you, you know, it's the first time he's had this much success, which means a high usage rate. So uh, I think getting him a few extra days off might probably enhance his um it will will it'll extend his the longevity of his of him at his best quality. yeah yes his quality production i'm being nice about it getting, but i think get, that, getting a few five inning starts would also probably help with that if we could manage that somewhere <laughs> yeah that, that that hopefully i mean look they look i think Cody, we talked to Cody about this. You know, Brian Garcia has been a positive surprise, and it seems likely if he can continue to throw with the same quality command that he has demonstrated most times he has appeared, he he should be a useful piece in a bullpen, okay? I think it will help getting Farmer back. That would help a lot because he had thrown well, although he had only – recorded one strikeout in 19 hitters, which is kind of unusual for him, but it could have been an anomaly, and I'm not going to get too excited about that. But, you know, the bottom line is the the Tigers still are not very good, and you would still look to try to see some development from, you know, Candelario, Jacoby, you know, hopefully Willie Castro can contribute more than one game's worth of quality offensive activity. Paredes. Kristen Stewart as well, yeah. By, by the way, you know, I, I, Kristen Stewart is is beginning to make me yeah. concerned to the point where I, I, you know, I thought he'd hit the ball at least hard occasionally more than he has. But I thought, I thought Nico, although his numbers were not great, had actually had a lot of good at-bats and hit the ball very hard. I saw a weird stat in StatCast today that they – came up with, which is basically actual home runs versus expected home runs based upon how you hit the baseball. It's kind of interesting and where you hit it and in the stadium you hit it. And Nico actually, although he has four home runs, his expected home run number was five. He was in in getting a full home run under your expected number was reasonably rare. There weren't a ton of guys that were underperforming. Most guys, it's like, you know, when Miguel dropped one into the stands uh, a couple of times, you know, with 93 mile an hour exit velocity, 
you know, those are not necessarily expected home runs using XBA. So, well, and I can think always, of a few, you know, a few deep fly balls in sacrifice situations where, you know, Nico just did what he had to do and just lifted yeah. one out there 390. Um, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with, with Nico already at this point. He does a little bit of everything well. And, you know, I mean, we do need to keep in mind when, when people out there, out there are looking at the numbers that it is technically like April 25th. You know, obviously the the pressure is different because the season is so short, but, you know, th- that's the amount of, of gameplay that, that we're, you know, that we have to analyze right now. And if anyone was losing their mind and trying to pull Matt Boyd out of the rotation and cut him and some of the nonsense we're seeing on Twitter on uh, April 25th, um, you know, they'd be getting lit on fire. Um, so, you know, it's just worth, you know, it's worth keeping that in mind. I mean, we, we have to think about it both ways because... There's only so much time this season and everything is, is compressed and is going to have to happen faster and be evaluated faster. But we're still dealing with, you know, the very early, you know, hot streaks and slow starts of a typical baseball season at the same time. Yeah. Code, you've uh, been pretty prolific in how many things you've written lately. And you've a lot of people, a lot of people noticing a lot of these great pieces that you're writing. You got anything coming up? I mean, you just. You know, with today's news, I, I don't. I hope people get a chance to go back and and read your piece on Matthew Boyd and a little bit about how you did a little pitch analysis. And for those of you that remember that we tweeted out that uh, Max Goldstein was going to come on the pod with us tonight because we were going to talk about Matthew Boyd and a bunch of data. Obviously, what happened today precluded that and. Max has agreed to come on maybe next week after both Mize and Scoogle appear, and we can talk about some of the data from all three of these pitchers and what it looks like. So we we appreciate we appreciate Max rescheduling uh, and giving us a chance to talk about what went on today. Yeah, it'll be fun to have it'll be fun to have him back on, and of course, I also have a Matt Boyd piece coming out tomorrow. So um, yeah, between uh, between the four of us, we should have it relatively well covered. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, Code, you got anything new coming out soon or are you just, uh, you, what, what do you got, what do you got in the pipeline maybe that we need to be looking forward to? I'll be honest. I'm, I'm, uh, just kind of trading water right now, especially after today's announcement. Well, it'll obviously be the, the Scooble and my show probably for the rest of this week. Actually getting to go back on the road, going to get up early and drive to Chicago tomorrow. So I'll be there for those debuts and, and we'll write off that. Um, we'll have a little peek inside the, the glorious constellation energy league with Cody <laughs> Clemens and, and, uh, we'll see if that turns out to be interesting or not. I have no idea. I think Trey uh, Cruz is there with him too, right? Yeah. 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 I'm curious who else kidding. is playing. Yeah. Who else is playing down there? Um, you know, from the, from the prospect world. Yeah. I don't know. There are a couple, uh, former kind of former tigers rejects, um, in that league. Um, and then Cody's brother Kobe is uh, is is there as well, and uh, and Rogers actually managing that team too, which is pretty interesting. Oh yeah. Um, so so we'll write a little bit about that. Uh, if anyone ha- happens to have a bright idea for a killer feature story, uh, shoot it in my DMs because I'm always on the lookout. I, I am kind of in between on those right now with so much daily stuff swirling. Yep, we're just kind of riding the wave this week for sure because there's uh, there's finally a whole bunch of interesting news. <laughs> it's pretty hard when there yeah. isn't. You really got to scramble sometimes. 
I'm trying to look through some of the questions just to see if we had any that we didn't really cover. Did you want to talk about so, briefly Paredes uh, at second base versus third base? Do you want to get into that? <laughs> yeah. What do you what do you, what do you think what do you think the chances are? Uh, you know, it, it, Brandon and I were discussing this today. I don't necessarily think we were agreeing very much, but <laughs> you know, I I thought what you know as it comes to Willie Castro, I, you know, I think they should try to play him if they already played him at third they you know they need to try to play him third at third short and second and I I was trying to encourage the idea that in this kind of a strange season that I'd like to see him try to get Isaac Paredes you know excuse me Isak Paredes you know about 40 innings at second base and actually see what he can do there and see what it looks like. Because if you're not finding out what players have the, have the capacity to do as you're trying to configure a baseball team, uh, I don't think you're doing it correctly. So, I mean, if he was good enough to play short, you, you'd like to think that he could play a passable second base. God knows he has the arm for it, and he sure has it for, you know, both to do – you know, to make the make the turn and make relay throws. So, but you know, but if, I, but of course he he didn't play a good a good shortstop. He played a you know an adequate you know below average shortstop. I, I just from my perspective, I just don't really need to see that. I totally agree on trying Willie everywhere. Um, with Isak, I'd just throw him at third and call it a day, man. But you know, we can degree, we can disagree on that one. Yeah, look, I I I, I will. Pull the Johnny Peralta card on you on this, just because I don't <laughs> think two two people thought he was more of a statue at shortstop than you and I. And I would still tell you at age sixty four that I can throw with Johnny Peralta at, at sixty four years old. He had one of the worst shortstop arms to this day I've ever seen on a major leaguer. Okay, yeah. And Who, who's and, who's better between him and Jordy Mercer? <laughs> You take well, Listen, I got, I got, I got to tell you. If you go, you know, we, we we laugh about this, but Johnny Peralta, when it came to defensive metrics, his metrics for the most part for the last until the last season he played for St. Louis, but for the three or four years in Detroit and the three for three years in St. Louis, his defensive metrics were just shockingly good. Yeah. And the Tigers and he, do seem to be better at, at shifting. You know, I mean, if you look at some of the data so far. Um, you know, the analytics department seems to have these guys lined up pretty well, you know, based on who they're facing and who's pitching. So that obviously helps you. You don't need so much mobility with all the shifting. So all I'm saying is, is that I think if, if you position people well, okay, it, it, I think that second base is a huge offensive position in baseball now, and we need to find somebody that plays second base that's an offensive player. That, and I think we're crazy not to find out if that's Isak Paredes. That's, you know, we can always, you know, how many third basemen you want to have? You got a few now. Do we? <laughs> I, I like experimenting with it. I think if you dream up your best, you know, wins above replacement infield in, in a few years, it involves Paredes at second, Torkelson at third, and then you sign some guy who can just bop at first base because uh, there there will be a few of them out there. The thing is, how realistic is any of that? I don't love the way Paredes moves in the infield. 
but then I'm reminded, it, especially with the shifts, it's not all about range. When I was first watched Torkelson this summer, I thought, well, he actually moves pretty well. I think he has the range to play third. Watching a little more, at least as of now, you can tell he hasn't played the position. He doesn't necessarily have the feel. Maybe his hands are okay, but he just looks awkward. And part of infielding is just feel, um, even more so than range or, or even footwork. Um, so I don't think it kills you to try, but I also think uh, Torkelson at third, Paredes at second, who knows at short, you could be looking at one of the worst defensive infields of all time, so that's probably not your solution. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about of all time, but I, I wouldn't be a, a fan of that. I mean, the thing is, I've seen... I've seen Isaac Paredes, Isak Paredes play a whole lot. You know, um, I've seen a whole lot of him at Erie playing shortstop, playing third base. He he isn't going to kill you at second base. I mean, I'm sure they could play him there and he'd be all right. Where he's going to struggle is the footwork around the bag. You know, covering second, putting down tags, being in the right place. You know, he's going to catch everything that comes to him and he's going to make the throws. Um, I don't I don't really have any concern about that. So if they want to try it, it's okay. But um, he's not the guy I want, you know, taking the feed from shortstop and, you know, needing the footwork to tag the bag, spin, and, and throw to first. I, I just feel like that kind of mobility on the, you know, on the move is, is just going to leave him out to dry there. And I would, I don't know that I really feel like messing with it. But, of course, I don't also believe that Torkelson, you know, I don't mind them trying him at third base, but I don't think he's going to end up there. So, I mean, that's kind of where my thinking on it comes down anyway. Well, it doesn't hurt to try because the Tigers aren't winning anything this year anyway. And I understand your perspective that gathering all the intelligence that you can on these guys this year also makes good sense in another way. Yeah, that's fine. That's kind of what I'm saying. And I hope that uh, come next February, when Spencer Torkelson gets to spring training, that Al Avila takes him into the tunnel, puts his arm around him and says, you know, Spencer, we really wanted to try this experiment at third base but we've been thinking about it and <laughs> we're gonna put, we're gonna send you back to first base because we want you to concentrate on just bashing the baseball okay and, and <laughs> if they do that then i will give kudos to alavila for admitting his mistake and you can't fault the guy for trying to experiment, but I just, I, look, I always bring up the Nick Castellanos. Castellanos is, is an outstanding athlete. His running speed is very good, and God knows he can hit a baseball, okay? Fantastic but, hand eye, yep. <laughs> he, but but let, let's be really honest. I, I'm not sure in four years of playing third base I ever saw Nick Castellanos range to his right backhand a ball behind the bag and gun to first and get anyone. He was 0 for 4 years on that play. And and how many times did you really see him make a quick twitch move to his left and then make a good throw across the diamond? Nick Castellanos did not have a very good arm at third base and God knows that Henning and I fought about this at lunch a good 30 or 40 times. But, you know, it just goes to show you, you may have seemingly the skill set to think that you could be good at third base, but, you know, the history of Nick Castellanos at third base is well documented. He was 
one of the two worst third basemen in baseball for three straight years. And I, I see so much Nick Castellanos in the actions of Spencer Torkelson at third base. That's, that's what I see. And he's less of a quick twitch athlete than Nick Castellanos is. So yeah, baseball is full of so many weird, specific little detailed skills, you know, where sometimes I think you can, you can apply football thinking to it and be like, this guy's fast. He moves well this way or that way. And then in baseball, it just doesn't play because you've got to be able to move that way. You've got to be able to reach down. You've got to be able to keep your balance, seize the ball, stop on a dime, you know, have the appropriate reception to, you know, to align yourself right without really looking at your target and make those throws. I mean, there's just a lot, there's just a lot to it. Um, And yeah, you know, it is odd sometimes. It's bizarre to me that, you know, someone with as good a hands as Nick Castellanos at the plate has such stone hands in the field. Like you just, it's just an odd, you know, it's an odd game in that regard. You know, like some some things just do not translate over. Here's what I would say to you is that, and it's getting late, and I don't want to digress into something like this, but Nicholas Castellanos is a fabulous hitter. Tell me, tell me one other thing he does on a baseball field that helps you win that he does well. I don't know. I mean, he runs okay on the bases now. He's, he is he's, one of the worst base runners on earth. I disagree. He, he, got, he, he, he was strong. terrible he gets, for years, and he's really, really seemed to work on it and has been a lot better the past couple of years. But but if you're asking for something that he's plus at, okay, I've got nothing. (laughs) Yeah, here's the shame in it. He's he was pretty fast, and that you know, so the fact that he got thrown out on the bases endlessly, you know, it's that's my point. I mean, but he is a fantastic hitter, especially in small in a small ballpark. But I wonder if this brings us to it to the detail between, you know, being able to do a focused activity where, you know, he's in the box, he knows exactly what he's focused on and he can do the job. But when you're in the field, you have to be aware of so many different things. And that's a, that's a different type of awareness that he just does not have. You know, it just, he, he gets overwhelmed. He gets caught off guard. He makes the wrong, you know, mental, mental decision. He does, he does that stuff pretty often out there. And um, it, it's, it is baffling to watch because yeah, I mean, you know, he works hard, you know, he's, you know, he's a gamer, he's a confident player. He's obviously a really good hitter and uh, he just does not seem to be able to improve in any of these ways. Really. Listen, that's why I like doing podcasts about team building because it's, it's a complex thing to understand how to take, how to take a guy like Max Muncie, who was a first baseman who had washed out. He now plays first base, second base, and third base, and, and hits in the middle of the lineup for the Dodgers. And this will be the third year he's hit over 30 home runs. Yep. That, that's, it, it, you know, who the heck would understand? They, they just keep bringing players up and plugging them in. You go look at the lineup for the Dodgers now, taking Betts out of there and Pollock out of there. It's almost entirely self-grown, including their rotation. It's the most amazing thing ever. It's a very difficult thing to do, and they do it extremely well. All right, Tigers lost tonight 7-2, to gave up six six home runs. Mark, who's the director so, of player development for the, for the Dodgers? Anybody we know here? Yeah. He uh, he left on bad terms here, but you know he was the well loved. I wonder uh, why. I wonder why. Will, Will Rhymes. <laughs> you know much about Will Rhymes, Code? I don't 
and unfortunately, I'm going to have to go for some uh, beautiful yeah. interviews. I bet. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot hey, for coming buddy, on, man. Thanks for coming on, Code. We'll do it again soon. All right. Um, yeah, I guess um, we'll wrap it up there because Mark and I could um, could probably talk and for another hour and a half easily, um, and maybe we will. But uh, but we'll take it off the air for now, and we will catch up with all you guys again yeah. next week after we uh, after we see Mize, after we see Scooble. Um, we got to look at Boyd tonight, and we'll uh, we'll we'll be thinking about these things um, and get back at you guys all next week. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Have a good night. Hey, you too. Thanks, Brandon. Hopefully, uh, at least losing will be more fun now. Exactly. That's all we ask for. (laughs) Have a good night.